Part three, chapter three of Indian Boyhood by Charles Eastman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Boy Hunter. It will be no exaggeration to say that the life of the Indian hunter was a life of fascination. From the moment that he lost sight of his rude home in the midst of the forest, his untutored mind lost itself in the myriad beauties and forces of nature. Yet he never forgot his personal danger from some lurking foe or savage beast, however absorbing was his passion for the chase. The Indian youth was a born hunter. Every motion, every step, expressed an inborn dignity, and at the same time a depth of native caution. His moccasin foot fell like the velvet paw of a cat, noiselessly. His glittering black eyes scanned every object that appeared within their view. Not a bird, not even a chipmunk, escaped their piercing glance. I was scarcely over three years old when I stood one morning just outside our buffalo-skin teepee, with my little bow and arrows in my hand, and gazed up among the trees. Suddenly the instinct to chase and kill seized me powerfully just then a bird flew over my head and then another caught my eye as it balanced itself upon a swaying bough everything else was forgotten and in that moment i had taken my first step as a hunter there was almost as much difference between the indian boys who were brought up on the open prairies and those of the woods as between city and country boys the hunting of the prairie boys was limited and their knowledge of natural history imperfect. They were, as a rule, good riders, but in all-round physical development much inferior to the red men of the forest. Our hunting varied with the season of the year and the nature of the country which was for the time our home. Our chief weapon was the bow and arrows, and perhaps, if we were lucky, a knife was possessed by someone in the crowd. In the olden times, knives and hatchets were made from bone and sharp stones. For fire, we used a flint with a spongy piece of dry wood and a stone to strike with. Another way of starting fire was for several of the boys to sit down in a circle and rub two pieces of dry spongy wood together, one after another, until the wood took fire. We hunted in company a great deal, though it was a common thing for a boy to set out for the woods quite alone and he usually enjoyed himself fully as much. Our game consisted mainly of small birds, rabbits, squirrels, and grouse. Fishing, too, occupied much of our time. We hardly ever passed a creek or a pond without searching for some signs of fish. When fish were present, we always managed to get some. Fish lines were made of wild hemp, sinew, or horsehair. We either caught fish with lines snared or speared them or shot them with bow and arrows in the fall we charmed them up to the surface by gently tickling them with a stick and quickly threw them out of the water we have sometimes dammed the brooks and driven the larger fish into a willow basket made for that purpose it was part of our hunting to find new and strange things in the woods we examined the slightest sign of life and if a bird had scratched the leaves off the ground or a bear dragged up a root for his morning meal. We stopped to speculate on the time it was done. If we saw a large old tree with some scratches on its bark, 
we concluded that a bear or some raccoons must be living there in that case we did not go any nearer than was necessary but later reported the incident at home an old deer track would at once bring on a warm discussion as to whether it was the track of a buck or a doe generally at noon we met and compared our game noting at the same time the peculiar characteristics of everything we had killed it was not merely a hunt for we combined with it the study of animal life we also kept strict account of our game and thus learned who were the best shots among the boys i am sorry to say that we were merciless toward the birds we often took their eggs and their young ones my brother chatana and i once had a disagreeable adventure while bird hunting we were accustomed to catch in our hands young ducks and geese during the summer and while doing this we happened to find a crane's nest of course we were delighted with our good luck but as it was already midsummer the young cranes two in number were rather large and they were a little way from the nest we also observed that the two old cranes were in a swampy place near by but as it was molting time we did not suppose that they would venture on dry land so we proceeded to chase the young birds but they were fleet runners and it took us some time to come up with them meanwhile the parent birds had heard the cries of their little ones and come to their rescue they were chasing us while we followed the birds it was really a perilous encounter our strong bows finally gained the victory in a hand-to-hand -hand struggle with the angry cranes but after that we hardly ever hunted a crane's nest almost all birds make some resistance when their eggs or young are taken but they will seldom attack man fearlessly we used to climb large trees for birds of all kinds but we never undertook to get young owls unless they were on the ground the hooting owl especially is a dangerous bird to attack under these circumstances i was once trying to catch a yellow-winged woodpecker in its nest when my arm became twisted and lodged in the deep hole so that i could not get it out without the aid of a knife but we were a long way from home and my only companion was a deaf-mute cousin of mine i was about fifty feet up in the tree in a very uncomfortable position but i had to wait there for more than an hour before he brought me the knife with which i finally released myself our devices for trapping small animals were rude but they were often successful for instance we used to gather up a peck or so of large sharp-pointed burrs and scatter them in the rabbit's furrow-like path in the morning we would find the little fellow sitting quietly in his tracks unable to move for the burrs stuck to his feet another way of snaring rabbits and grouse was the following we made nooses of twisted horsehair which we tied very firmly to the top of a limber young tree then bent the latter down to the track and fastened the hole with a slip-knot after adjusting the noose when the rabbit runs his head through the noose he pulls the slip-knot and is quickly carried up by the spring of the young tree this is a good plan for the rabbit is out of harm's way as he swings high in the air perhaps the most enjoyable of all was the chipmunk hunt we killed these animals at any time of year but the special time to hunt them was in march after the first thaw the chipmunks burrow a hole through the snow crust and make their first appearance for the season sometimes as many as fifty will come together and hold a social reunion these gatherings occur early in the morning from daybreak to about nine o'clock we boys learned this among other secrets of nature 
and got our blunt-headed arrows together in good season for the chipmunk expedition we generally went in groups of six to a dozen or fifteen to see which would get the most on the evening before we selected several boys who could imitate the chipmunk's call with wild oat straws and each of these provided himself with a supply of straws the crust will hold the boys nicely at this time of the year bright and early they all come together at the appointed place from which each group starts out in a different direction agreeing to meet somewhere at a given position of the sun my first experience of this kind is still well remembered it was a fine crisp march morning and the sun had not yet shown himself among the distant tree-tops as we hurried along through the ghostly wood presently we arrived at a place where there were many signs of the animals then each of us selected a tree and took up his position behind it the chipmunk caller sat upon a log as motionless as he could and began to call soon we heard the patter of little feet on the hard snow then we saw the chipmunks approaching from all directions some stopped and ran experimentally up a tree or a log as if uncertain of the exact direction of the call others chased one another about in a few minutes the chipmunk caller was besieged with them some ran all over his person others under him and still others ran up the tree against which he was sitting each boy remained immovable until their leader gave the signal then a great shout arose and the chipmunks in their flight all ran up the different trees now the shooting match began the little creatures seemed to realize their hopeless position they would try again and again to come down the trees and flee away from the deadly aim of the youthful hunters but they were shot down very fast and whenever several of them rushed toward the ground the little red skin hugged the tree and yelled frantically to scare them up again each boy shoots always against the trunk of the tree so that the arrow may bound back to him every time otherwise when he has shot away all of them he would be helpless and another who had cleared his own tree would come and take away his game so there was warm competition sometimes a desperate chipmunk would jump from the top of the tree in order to escape which was considered a joke on the boy who lost it and a triumph for the brave little animal at last all were killed or gone and then we went on to another place keeping up the sport until the sun came out and the chipmunks refused to answer the call when we went out on the prairies we had a different and less lively kind of sport we used to snare with horse-hair and bowstrings all the small ground animals including the prairie dog we both snared and shot them once a little boy set a snare for one and lay flat on the ground a little way from the hole holding the end of the string presently he felt something move and pulled in a huge rattlesnake and to this day his name is caught the rattlesnake very often a boy got a new name in some such manner at another time we were playing in the woods and found a fawn's track we followed and caught it while asleep but in the struggle to get away it kicked one boy who is still called kicked by the fawn it became a necessary part of our education to learn to prepare a meal while out hunting it is a fact that most indians will eat the liver and some other portions of large animals raw but they do not eat fish or birds uncooked neither will they eat a frog or an eel on our boyish hunts we often went on until we found ourselves a long way from our camp when we would kindle a fire and roast a part of our game generally we broiled our meat over the coals on a stick we roasted some of it over the open fire 
but the best way to cook fish and birds is in the ashes under a big fire we take the fish fresh from the creek or lake have a good fire on the sand dig in the sandy ashes and bury it deep the same thing is done in case of a bird only we wet the feathers first when it is done the scales or feathers and skin are stripped off whole and the delicious meat retains all its juices and flavor we pulled it off as we ate leaving the bones undisturbed our people had also a method of boiling without pots or kettles a large piece of tripe was thoroughly washed and the ends tied then suspended between four stakes driven into the ground and filled with cold water the meat was then placed in this novel receptacle and boiled by means of the addition of red-hot stones chatana was a good hunter he called the doe and fawn beautifully by using a thin leaf of birch bark between two flattened sticks one morning we found the tracks of a doe and fawn who had passed within the hour for the light dew was brushed from the grass what shall we do i asked shall we go back to the teepee and tell uncle to bring his gun no no exclaimed chatana did not our people kill deer and buffalo long ago without guns we will entice her into this open space and while she stands bewildered i can throw my lasso line over her head he had called only a few seconds when the fawn emerged from the thick woods and stood before us prettier than a picture then i uttered the call and she threw her tobacco leaf-like ears towards me while chitano threw his lasso she gave one scream and launched forth into the air almost throwing the boy hunter to the ground again and again she flung herself desperately into the air but at last we led her to the nearest tree and tied her securely now said he go and get our pets and see what they will do at that time he had a good-sized black bear partly tamed while i had a young red fox and my faithful ohitika or brave i untied chagu the bear and wanahan the fox while ohitika got up and welcomed me by wagging his tail in a dignified way come i said all three of you i think we have something you would all like to see they seemed to understand me for chagu began to pull his rope with both paws while wanahan undertook the task of digging up by the roots the sapling to which i had tied him before we got to the open spot we already heard oitika's joyous bark and the two wild pets began to run and pulled me along through the underbrush chagu soon assumed the utmost precaution and walked as if he had splinters in his soles while wanahan kept his nose down low and sneaked through the trees out into the open glade we came and there before the three rogues stood the little innocent fawn she visibly trembled at the sight of the motley group the two human rogues looked to her i presume just as bad as the other three chagoo regarded her with a mixture of curiosity and defiance while wanahan stood as if rooted to the ground evidently planning how to get at her but ohitika brave generous ohitika his occasional barking was only in jest he did not care to touch the helpless thing suddenly the fawn sprang high into the air and then dropped her pretty head on the ground oh yeza the fawn is dead cried chatana i wanted to keep her it's a shame i chimed in 
we five guilty ones came and stood around her helpless form we all looked very sorry even chagu's eyes showed repentance and regret as for oitika he gave two great sighs and then betook himself to a respectful distance chetana had two big tears gradually swamping his long black eyelashes and i thought it was time to hide my face for i did not want him to look at me End of part three, chapter three.